Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. It's awesome to have so many of you with us this morning. I do want to let you know we do have uh, an 8 a.m. service, and we also have uh, a later service at 11. So just, just letting that hang out there, just letting you know. Uh, but no, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, I heard this this week, just wanted to share it with you, that um, I learned this week the difference, if you've never known this, the difference between a crocodile and an alligator, which I could never tell the difference. And I figured out how to tell the difference this week. Uh, one will see you after a while, and the other one will see you later. So, wah, wah, just wanted to... Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Hey, a couple of quick things before we jump into the message this morning. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to say hello to those of you joining us on our online campus, uh, our parent viewing rooms. That's a great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. We also have extra seating in our cafe. You can watch the service there as well. And uh, before we jump in, I want to let you know about a couple of things. One is, um, for the last few years, uh, Amanda Stank has been a part of our uh, staff uh, part of our team overseeing uh, all of the classrooms and uh, adult leaders from birth all the way through fifth grade. And this last year, she started a, a project called Run For Her. Uh, we did this this last year and raised money through um, Run For Her for a, a, one of our global partners called Venture and uh, was able to raise money for them doing a, a run with a bunch of women from church. And it was an awesome event. Uh, and then uh, over the last several weeks, uh, Venture has uh, a position that opened up and Amanda Stang was actually hired by Venture to, to go and do more of that with a bunch more churches. And so that's super awesome. We're going to be cheering her on. Uh, we want to be at the front of the parade, just, uh, man, backing her up. And so she's going to still be a part of the church, but uh, transitioning out of our kids area and moving into that role with Venture, uh, doing that at the first of the year. So if you see her, make sure you congratulate her and say thanks to her uh, for all of her work here. She's brought so much uh, to our team here. And uh, we're working over the next several weeks to make sure that we don't miss a beat uh, in kids, but we'll continue to have all of our kids programming, everything ready to go. And uh, we'll be working through that over the next uh, several weeks and already chatting with people and, and figuring that out. But if you see her, say thank you to her and let her know how much you appreciate all that she's done. Uh, the other thing is... Um, Last week, we did our legacy offering. This is uh, above and beyond our regular giving. We just do this once a year, our legacy offering. And if you missed it last week, I want you to know that legacy offering stays open till the end of the year. Uh, you can still give towards that. You just mark legacy either in your app or on your envelope. And we'll make sure that whatever comes into the legacy project, we give 100% of that away. And that's our goal is like whatever we participate, 100% and 100% of it we give away to global partners, local initiatives. And so all of the things that, uh, that you give through the legacy uh, specifically, if you, if you check that, uh, we give 100% of that away. So uh, there's still time to give. If you'd like to participate in that, you can. All right. Uh, today, we're closing out our series called Faith Forward. Faith Forward. And this has been about uh, the last nine weeks. It's our ninth week. And we're closing out this series. And this has been walking through this letter that James, the brother of Jesus, writes to followers of Jesus that are scattered across the Roman Empire. And um, the kind of the big message that comes ringing through all of James's writings, he borrows from his brother Jesus, he borrows from Proverbs, and basically it's that faith is action based on trust. That, uh, God, I trust you enough to do what you ask me to do. That faith isn't just something we believe, something that we feel, something that we express. It's something that moves us to action. And it's not just transactional, okay, God, I, I'm going to do my part and then you have to do your part. It's no, God, I just, it, it's relational. I trust you enough to do what you asked me to do. I trust who you are, and I trust your way of living, so I'm going to live how you asked me to live. And today we're going to focus our attention on the last few verses of James's letter. Uh, these last few verses focus on the action of prayer. And an act of faith involves an active prayer life. 
And I want to start by reading this section of verses in its entirety, uh, this whole section of verses together. And then as we're reading that, I want you to listen for all of the different ways and all the different times that James says we are to pray. And my hope is that we're going to break it down so that we can understand it and really put this into practice in our lives. So here's what James writes in James chapter 5. He says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So this whole section here, there's a lot of actions on prayer here. So what I want to do is I want to make sure that we see all of them, that we hear all of them, and that we understand them so that we can actually put them into practice in our own lives. And before we do that, let me just demystify prayer a little bit, because uh, for a lot of us, prayer is kind of like diet and exercise, where it's like we know we should do it, but we're not really that motivated. And so prayer kind of falls into that category sometimes. Uh, And I'll be honest, same same thing for me. For a lot of us, uh, we misunderstand what prayer is about. Uh, For a lot of us, uh, some of us are kind of lost on how to pray. Uh, Sometimes we pray uh, just memorized prayers that we've kind of grown up with. Uh, We feel that we don't pray enough. Some of us, we hear the word prayer and we just feel guilty because we're like, well, I just, I must not pray enough. Uh, And sometimes uh, we just find it very confusing. Maybe you grew up with some uh, memorized prayers, some prayers that you prayed like before every meal, right? Uh, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we're all fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. And my brother and I had several renditions of this that we came up with uh, as we were growing up. Hey, dude, thanks for the food. This is one of them. Uh, Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Uh, there's a couple of versions that, uh, you know, that we had. Uh, there's also some prayers that are like, they seem good on the surface, but when you really dig beneath and really uh, like, try to understand the words, they can be a little bit like, off-putting. Uh, there was a teddy bear that we had when my kids were younger. And when you squeeze its hand, it was battery operated and it would like say, it would quote this prayer in like a kid's voice. And it was this prayer. And when you think about this prayer, you're like, oh, it's such a sweet prayer. But then when you really think about it, you're like, that's kind of creepy, right? It it goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord, my soul to take. Pray that to a preschooler, right? Well, good night, sweet dreams. It's like, whoa, what's happening here? Right? And so most of us would probably admit when it comes to prayer, uh, most of our prayers are pretty simple. A lot of them sometimes are memorized prayers, or maybe we feel guilty, or maybe we're confused. And I think one of the biggest discouragements when it comes to prayer is that uh, we said a prayer, we ask God to do something, and it feels like God didn't answer, or he doesn't answer in the way that we were hoping, or in the timing that we were hoping, or the way we were expecting. And so today, I want to hopefully shift our perspective on prayer just a little bit. I want to suggest that the reason that we feel that prayer doesn't work is because we're using it in a way that it wasn't designed to work. In other words, if faith is relational and not transactional, then it would make sense that prayer is the same way. And so prayer is not, I say a prayer, and now, God, you have to do your part. Prayer is simply talking to God. 
It's relational. Over and over again, Jesus would remind us that our Heavenly Father knows what we need, and He delights in meeting the needs and the desires of our hearts. And so the purpose of prayer isn't to inform God or convince God or somehow say the right words in the right formula, in the right order, for the right amount of time, then, you know, I've, I've cracked the code and now God's going to do my bidding. The purpose of prayer isn't to get God's attention, it's so that God can get our attention. The purpose of prayer isn't to change God's heart, the purpose of prayer is to change our hearts. And in prayer, we have the opportunity to do two things. We declare God's greatness and we acknowledge our dependence on Him. God, you are great. You're bigger than I am. You're God and I'm not. And I recognize and I acknowledge I'm dependent on you for everything. And so James is encouraging his readers to pray because it will make a difference in their hearts. It'll make a difference in their lives. And in these sort of verses that he writes, he answers two really big questions. And the first one is this, well, when should we pray? And then he answers that. The first time we should pray is in suffering. In suffering, we should pray. And I think it's really interesting because James actually starts this entire letter with uh, saying, consider it joy when troubles of any kind come your way. Consider it an opportunity for joy because when you face suffering, when you face troubles of any kind that happen to come your way, it's an opportunity to grow your faith. You'll develop perseverance. You'll develop endurance. And it actually moves your faith forward. And remember, James is writing to a group of people who definitely understand suffering. They have been spread across the Roman Empire because of uh, religious persecution from the Jewish religious leaders. And for many of them, they've given up their homes. They've given up their businesses. They've lost their income. For many of them, they've lost family members who have been arrested, who have been imprisoned. Many of them have even lost family members to death. And they have professed this belief in the resurrection of Jesus, and it has put a target on their back. And they are being persecuted. And the people James is writing to understood suffering and hardship. And James is reminding them, God is not the cause of your suffering. God is not the cause of your pain. And when you're facing suffering, James says, your default setting should be to go to God in prayer. You acknowledge God's greatness. You you declare God's greatness and you acknowledge your dependence on him. And so I want to encourage each and every one of us, if you're experiencing suffering of any kind, whether it's big or small, whether regardless of the size, maybe it's simply the chaos of the season, or maybe it's the tension of a relationship, or maybe you are really dealing with intense, real suffering in the sense of uh, sickness, the loss of a loved one, pain, grief, anxiety, depression that you have ongoing I want you to know, James says, in suffering, we turn to God and we pray and we declare God's greatness. We acknowledge our dependence on him and let that suffering drive you to prayer because prayer will change your heart from the inside out. And God promises to meet you in your suffering. And so we pray in suffering. Here's one, uh, another time we pray. We pray in success. We pray when things are going poorly. We pray when things are going well. In both bad times and in good times, our default setting should be to talk to God to engage with our Heavenly Father. We declare His greatness. We acknowledge our dependence. And here's the reality. We often don't need to be told to pray during suffering. Typically, that's our response to suffering. It's like, oh God, I need your help. God, where are you? God, I need you. There's an old saying that says, uh, in foxholes, atheists pray. There are no atheists in foxholes. Everyone prays. It's our default setting. We instinctively turn towards God in suffering. But what about when everything is going well? What about when, when, when you know, all, all the ducks are in a row and everything's lining up and everything's coming up perfectly for you? In those times, it's really easy to neglect God. 
It's really easy to not pray. That's why Jesus said it's very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? That, that God loves rich people less? No. Jesus is saying that because they have so much, oftentimes they lean away from dependence on God. And James reminds us to pray and recognize God when everything is going well. And the phrase that he actually uses is to sing praises. And what's awesome is we get the opportunity to do that here. That's why we gather and sing songs. These are really prayers that are set to music. These are prayers that are uh, a part of us going, I get to pray these prayers set to music with a group of people who are all believing the same thing or sharing this together. And the words that we sing are prayers about how big God is, the greatness of God. So we sing things like we sing this morning, God on earth is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. These are prayers set to music, and they, are, they remind us of the vastness of God. They remind us of how big God is, how vast God is. And so in these prayers set to music, in these praises, we declare God's greatness. We acknowledge our dependence on him. And James is going to remind us uh, to recognize God when everything is going well, when everything is going great. This is also a time to pray. Praise is simply a prayer that gives credit where credit is due. And then James says this, there's another time that we pray. We pray in sickness. We pray in suffering. When, when we're experiencing suffering, we pray in success, when everything's going good. We pray in difficult times. We pray in good times. And then we pray in sickness. And uh, James gives very specific instructions here. Unlike the general instructions around the first two, he gives very specific instructions. And before we walk through that, let me tell you what he's not saying. Okay, before we walk through what he is saying, these verses are sometimes used by sort of subgroups of Christian circles to uh, get people to do things that are pretty unhealthy, make some pretty unwise decisions. So here's what James is not saying. James is not saying that if you're sick, you should not go to a doctor or receive medicine or seek professional help. James is not saying that all of those things are means through which God brings healing. Okay, praying when you are sick is not a replacement for going to the doctor or taking medicine or seeking treatment. It's in addition to those things. Even as I'm doing these things, God, I'm asking your, you to heal me. Also, I want you to hear me say this. If you see a doctor, if you seek professional treatment, if you take medication, it is not any evidence of any type of lack of faith on your part. There are some sort of weird Christian circles that say, well, if you're ever sick, that's because you just don't have enough faith. That's just not true, okay? God can heal you through many different ways. And sometimes people get healed instantly and it's supernatural and God does something that nobody can do and people are healed. Other times God heals people through modern medicine and through doctors and surgery and our growing understanding of the human body and how it works. And then there's other times where if we're honest, sometimes God doesn't heal a broken body here in this world. And we have a God who has promised eternal healing that one day Jesus will return and one day all things will be as they should be and that in that time we will have resurrected bodies, that our bodies will be made whole. No more sickness, no more disease, no more cracking knees. No, you know, everything will work the way that it's supposed to work. And if we don't receive our healing in this body, we have a healing that is to come. And that's exactly why James encourages us to pray. Not because uh, prayer is going to somehow change God, but because in praying, it will change our hearts. It will change our perspective. It will help us to trust our Heavenly Father and trust that He hears us in good times or in bad times. God, you're, you're great, and I'm dependent on you. Now, let me just say this. We, we recognize that sometimes that healing doesn't come in the way that we want it to come. 
Sometimes the healing comes in eternity. And people are healed when they get a new and resurrected body. And sometimes that's the healing that takes place. But for those of us who are left behind, we grieve and we mourn. And in fact, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people uh, later on in, in, in the region of Thessalonica. And he says, we grieve, but we don't grieve as people who have no hope. We grieve, but we grieve with hope, recognizing that we will be reunited. And so uh, I want to encourage you, uh, this is a season during the holidays where oftentimes we're reminded of the grief that we experienced because of a loved one that we lost, maybe a friend that we lost. And so in a couple of weeks, on Friday, December 9th, we're doing something here at Westbridge called the Empty Chair Service. We want to recognize that it is during this season in particular, during the holidays, where we're, we're reminded oftentimes of the empty chair where our loved one once sat. And we want to lean into that. We want to acknowledge the pain and the grief, but we want to do it with hope. And so we're going to have a service here. It's a Friday evening. We're going to worship together. We're going to receive communion together. We're going to acknowledge our pain and our grief. At the same time, we're going to lean into community and comfort and hope and healing as we remember them, as we remember our loved ones, as we acknowledge the empty chair, but as we look to hope in eternity. So I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that season, that may be something that will resonate with you. James does give some specific instructions. When, if you find yourself sick, he says, go to the elders and ask them to anoint you with oil and pray for you. Now, uh, let me be clear. The term elder doesn't mean find the oldest person on staff at the church. All right, that's not what it means. Okay, Eli's not going to be here forever. So <laughs> while we do have a, a team of elders that provide counsel and wisdom and leadership here at Westbridge, James is specifically talking about people you recognize who uh, are being mature in their faith. And um, have them pray for you. And then he says, have them anoint you with oil. Now, what does that mean? Uh, it's not something that we typically practice. There are a couple of possible things James is saying here. One is that um, oil was used as a healing remedy. In fact, people still use essential oils today as a healing remedy. The other is that oil was a, uh, a physical representation of the Holy Spirit, of the healing power of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a tradition that uh, if you came to the front and asked for prayer, they had a little flask of oil and they would uh, put some oil in the shape of a forehead, uh, in the shape of a cross on your forehead, and then they would pray over you. And there's nothing wrong with that, uh, but it's not a prerequisite to praying and asking God for healing. So these are the, some of the reasons that they would use oil. But here's what I want us to notice. Who has the responsibility to let someone know they need prayer? James says, the person who is sick. It's on each of us to respond and ask people to pray on our behalf when we're in suffering, when we're in success, when we're in sickness. And finally, James says we also pray in sin. When we find ourselves in sin, we pray. And sin means to miss the mark. In other words, when God says, here's the standard, here's the way that I want you to live, and then we miss that mark, the biblical word for that is just sin. Now, we don't even need a Bible verse to tell us that we've sinned because we all know we don't even keep our own standards, much less God's standards, right? There's things that I want to do, and I'm like, this is the standard of how I want to live, and I miss that. In fact, we've all said things that we know we shouldn't have said. We've all done things that we know we shouldn't have done. We've all uh, accepted invitations we wish we hadn't accepted. We've all gone places we wish we hadn't gone. We've all uh, lost our temper and let anger control us. At some point, we've all, somewhere along the way, withheld forgiveness from someone, even though we've been forgiven. At some point along the way, all of us have uh, said something to make ourselves appear better than we are. We all have missed the mark somewhere along the way of how God created us to live. And the most basic term for that is sin. And when we sin, our tendency as human beings is to run away from people. 
We, we don't lean in, we run away from others. And James says, no, no, no. When you sin, you are to run toward one another because in our confession, we actually find healing. And that's why I want you to know here at Westbridge Church, we always want to keep the shame level low. We want you to be able to deal with the things that you're actually dealing with. And so we, we say we live lights on, windows open, right? Because it allows me to acknowledge what I'm actually dealing with and receive the help that I need to move my faith forward. And you don't have to hide what's going on or what you're really going through. Because any time at a church that you can't be honest about your sin and you can't be honest about what you're dealing with, it is only a matter of time before you will leave. And what you need to know is that in this church, it's okay to not be okay. In fact, we created this Jesus community as a group of people that you could run toward in your struggles and in your brokenness and in your sin. Because if you can't run toward church in your sin, then where can you run? The church is a hospital for sinners. It is not a hotel for saints. And the goal is to say, man, in my brokenness, this is what I'm running toward. In my sin, this is what I'm running toward. And we find hope and healing to move forward. And so James says, here's when you should pray. In suffering, in success, uh, in your sickness and in sin, pray. Pray. Okay, here's the second question. How do I pray? How are we to pray? And James answers these questions as well. Number one, we pray with community. Uh, We are to pray together with and for one another. Did you know that your faith is not a solo activity? Your faith is personal in the sense that no one can make that decision for you, but it is meant to be lived out publicly so that others can see the grace of Jesus being reflected in your life and communally with your church family. Following Jesus is both vertical and horizontal, meaning that the closer I get to God, the more I should be growing in my love for those he's created in his image. The the, the more that I grow in my love for God, the more deeply entrenched in community I become. That's why we do groups. That's why we're always saying, join a group, join a group, join a group, because as we move forward in faith, we need people who are moving towards their faith, growing in their faith, because we're fellow travelers. Together, we help each other become all that God's created us to be. And God has given us the church family to be with us, to remind us that God is always with us. And he's given the church to be with the world. We are this beautifully diverse, messy group of imperfect people who are learning to live and love like Jesus together. We do it together. We pray with community and prayers are meant to be lived out together. And each time that we gather as a group, we are to offer prayers with and for one another. And so James says, you pray in community. Your faith in Jesus is not a solo activity. Secondly, we pray with confession. Now, this is something that sometimes gets misunderstood based on different religious traditions. Confession is a big part of prayer because it is an act of humility that paves the way for healing. When something is uh, falling apart, when when something is uh, splitting apart, we call it disintegration. We say that that thing is disintegrating. If you've ever had something that's just like crumbling, it's disintegrating. What you're saying is it is no longer integrated. It is disintegrated. It's splitting apart from itself. And this is the language that we use. And that's often what happens to us as human beings when we say, okay, God, this is what I believe I'm created for, but right now these are my actions and how I'm living my life. And when those things uh, don't match up with each other, to whatever degree they don't match up, you are, as a human, disintegrating. And we feel it in our spiritual lives. We feel it in our emotions. We feel it psychologically. 
It, it, it impacts our relationships. It impacts the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view the world. And confession is the, is the act of saying, okay, I'm going to bring those things back into alignment. I want to make sure that, uh, that I'm not disintegrated as a person, as a human being, but that how God has created me to be is actually, my, my actions are actually lining up with who God has created me to be. And confession is the practice that reintegrates my actions with my beliefs. Confession brings healing. It's about bringing into alignment who God created me to be. And when we confess to God and to others, it breaks the cycle of pride and it opens us up to the healing power of the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's why we do this. We confess to God to find forgiveness because God forgives. And we confess to others so that we can experience healing. See, God always offers forgiveness. But if I want to make sure that I don't fall into the same pattern and that next time isn't just like the last time, then it's helpful for me to confess to another person. Because in that, I find freedom and I find healing and it breaks the power of sin in my life and it sets me up for accountability. And again, that's why we work so hard to keep the shame level low so that you can honestly address whatever it is that's going on in your life and find hope and healing through confession. Confession to God, I receive forgiveness. Confession to others, I help, it helps break the cycle of behavior. Now, there is a quick guideline to this, okay? So if you're thinking like, okay, do I just, do I just write all my sins out and post it on social media? I would say no, don't do that. Also, you need to know this. When you join a group, okay, like some of you, your hesitancy to join a group is because you think that it's like you get into the group and everybody's like, okay, all right, guys, gather around. Uh, everybody share your deepest, darkest secret sin. Go. Okay, it's, it's not that. Here's what I would suggest. Find a friend. Uh, find a, a trusted friend or maybe a small group of trusted friends that you can talk to and share your struggles. And when you share what you're going through with a follower of Jesus, the response should never be, oh, I can't believe you. Oh, you said what? You did what? I can't believe that. The response is this. You know what? I have some things that I'm not proud of too. And, and for the grace of God, I would do again. And so together, we're going to help each other continue to align our lives with who God created us to be. That's how we respond. Community and confession are so important because this is what it means to be a part of the family of God. You come as is, but you don't stay that way. And together, these are the things that God uses to shape us to become everything he's created us to be. So we pray with community and we pray with confession. And number three, we pray with confidence. We pray with confidence. We, we confidently believe that God hears our prayers. Prayer is about talking to our Heavenly Father. And I don't know what your experience with your earthly father has been, but when Jesus talks about our Heavenly Father, he talks about a good father. In fact, Jesus would say that if a child asks for a piece of bread, would you, would you give him a, a, a stone instead? Or if your child asks for uh, a fish, would you give him a snake instead? And he says, no, even you as imperfect people know how to give good gifts to your kids and give them things that they ask for. And he says, your Heavenly Father has your best interest in mind. In fact, in, in writing to followers of Jesus in the first century, the author of Hebrews says that we can go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Right into the presence of God, sincere hearts, fully trusting him. God isn't looking for the right words spoken eloquently in the right way, in the right order, in the right formula. God's simply looking for sincerity. When my... Um, Oldest daughter was about five years old. Uh, I remember the, the first kind of like homemade Father's Day card that she got me. 
And she, she was, it was homemade. It was written with crayon. Uh, it was like uh, Happy Father's Day. And a couple of the words were spelled wrong. And some of the letters were backwards. And, uh, you know, and it said, uh, I love you so much, Daddy, and signed her name. And it's got a picture of a heart and you know, cut out with, and pasted on. And it was just like one of these homemade cards. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, I, I took one look at it. And I was like, this is imperfect. Take it back. Do it again. <laughs> of course not. I, couldn't, I could not have cared less if it was, every word was spelled wrong and if every letter was backwards and if the coloring was out of the lines because what I cared about was the fact that she actually took the time to do it, that it was sincere. And as parents, you know this, when something is sincere, that's what moves your heart. It's not the perfection of the gift that's offered. It's the sincerity. And this is what God wants from us. He isn't looking for you to say the right words in the right order for the right amount of time to sort of crack the code and work some kind of formula that twists his arm. He's just looking for your sincerity. Just, God, here I am. God, here's what I'm going through. God, I, I declare your greatness and I acknowledge my dependence on you. And if you will begin to do that each and every day, you can be confident. James says we can pray with confidence. Not that every single prayer will be answered in the exact way, in the exact timing that I want it to be. But we can pray with confidence that God hears us, that he hears our prayers, that we're connecting with him, and that he has our best interests at heart. And finally, James says, we pray with celebration. We pray with celebration. There should be an attitude of joy when we get to pray. We are communicating with the God of the universe, and he's not judging how you pray. That's good news. He's just delighted that you're connecting with him. And one of the biggest prayer celebrations is when someone comes to faith in Jesus. And can I just tell you something? We celebrate that every single week around here. Every single week, there's someone who says, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus for the first time. I want to say yes to putting my trust in Jesus, or I'm coming back after being away for a long time. I want to read these last couple of verses together. James writes this, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. That's celebration language. Jesus said that when one person who has been lost comes back to God, back to relationship with God, that all of heaven rejoices and celebrates. And if heaven is celebrating that, then we ought to celebrate that as well. And that's why we do what we do. We want to be people helping people find and follow Jesus. That's why we started the church. That's why Westbridge exists. That's why the church universal exists. It's the mission of the church is to help people find Jesus and follow Jesus that we learn to live and love like Jesus together. And just think, God invites us through prayer and through our actions to be a part of helping people turn back to God. We get to be a part of that. Today, I want to celebrate that all of us can turn back to God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of Jesus. Today, we wrap up our Faith Forward series. We're going to close with communion. And on your way in, you should have received a communion. And this is a way for us to celebrate that this isn't us earning our way to God. It's based on what God has done for us. And before we receive communion today, I want to invite you. If you've never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, we want to celebrate that with you. We want to celebrate what God has done and what God will continue to do in your life through Jesus. And so uh, here's what you need to know. That the world, because of sin, because we collectively as the human race missed the mark, the world was broken. And to a large extent, continues to be broken. But the right time in human history, God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus took on flesh and bone. He became human. And he lived among us. 
And he experienced the things that we experience and the brokenness of this world. But he never missed the mark. He showed us exactly what God was like. He showed us exactly how God lives and how God loves. And then he allowed himself to be put to death. And in dying on the cross, the scriptures remind us that he took your sin and my sin where we missed the mark and he took that on himself. And now, uh, because of that, we are in right standing with God. Not based on anything we've done, but based on what Jesus has done. And then he was, his body was laid in a tomb and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And that means death is not the end. There's more to this life than this life. And you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family forever. Again, not because we can earn our way into it, but because of what Jesus has already done. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, it's freely extended to you. I want to offer you that invitation. And you can say yes by just agreeing with this prayer. And after we pray, we're going to celebrate communion. Pray this prayer with me. God, please forgive my sins. And forgive me for those times that I've walked away from you. And I'm so glad you never walk away from me. And I pray, make me your son. Make me your daughter. I want to say yes to that invitation to be a part of your family. And then help me as I move forward in my faith. Help me to put my trust in you and to follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, we practice open communion here. You don't have to be a member here at Westbridge Church in order to participate with us. But uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, that's really the only sort of prerequisite is saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. And so if you're, if you're someone who has said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to receive a communion with us. And um, the way that we do this is uh, the Apostle Paul writes this to a group of people in Corinth in the first century, and he's reminding them of the words of Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he's speaking about the, uh, the uh, crucifixion that's about to happen. And he passes the bread to his disciples. And he says, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. And every time that you receive this, I want you to remember that sacrifice. And so together today, as we wrap up our series, as we head into this holiday season where we remember the time that Jesus came into our world, as we remember the sacrificial love of Jesus through his broken body, Let's receive the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this represents my blood, which will be spilled for you. And it's the new covenant between God and humanity. Now, there isn't something you have to do to try to get to God. God has come to you. And so together, as we remember the sacrificial love of Jesus through his spilled blood, let's receive the cup together. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, in our most sincere words, all we can say is thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you for the path back to you that's offered through Jesus. And may we not get caught up in confusion or misconceptions or uh, ideas about prayer, may we simply acknowledge, declare your greatness, acknowledge our dependence on you. God, you are incredible. You are vast. You are bigger than we are. And we recognize everything we have, everything we are comes from you. We depend on you. We commit our lives to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.